step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and good to see you. We got Phil. We got Filthy G producing us yeah. tonight. Good to, see, oh. good to see him, but he's wearing the jersey. Rocking the jersey. He's rocking the jersey. Well, especially good evening to everyone, especially including Roman Yossi. Norris <laughs> Trophy winner. <laughs> um, yes, definitely including Roman Yossi. We don't want to leave him out tonight. Don't want to leave him out. Before we get to that, though, the news that came out today, the National Predators, is that they were able to sign Yakov Trenin to a two-year contract, a one-way deal worth 700000 next season and 750000 next season. We saw those pictures of him over in the motherland mm-hmm. <laughs> a few weeks ago, and the question was, is he just playing the card to, to see what the Preds are going to do, what's going to happen here? Not that he couldn't still go over there if he wanted to defect. Exactly. But it's looking like he wanted that one-way deal. Yep. He gets the one-way deal. And I think he deserved the one-way deal. He did. And I don't even think that, you know, I don't even think you have to try to say that they were trying to angle it on social media. But it doesn't hurt <laughs> right. when you kind of see the potential of where he could go. And you're like, you know what? Let's get that Let's get that one-way deal. Because he did. He deserved it. And they made sure that they got it. So it was successful. And, and it's I'm not excited. a lot of money. Exactly. And so it gets him. It's It's... I don't want to say a prove-it deal, but it's a good bridge contract to see, hey, are you going to you know cement yourself in the middle six or the bottom six? What kind of player are you going to be with the system? Stay healthy and potentially get more playtime as we see the youth movement potentially happening with this franchise. So I, I like that deal. It's definitely not an – I don't think it's an overpay. It's not an underpay. It's a – that's what he needed was a one-way deal worth not much money. And, I mean, yep. that gets – if he has to go back to Milwaukee, he can go back to Milwaukee, I guess, but – to yeah, remind people, yeah, yeah. To remind people in the way that contracts work with the NHL, one way or two way doesn't have anything to do with waivers. Mm-hmm. It just deals with how they're going to get paid. Exactly. So I mean, if for instance he does play in Milwaukee, he'd be making seven hundred thousand dollars playing in the AHL. Yep. The two way gives the flexibility with cap structure and money and budget is what it's all about. And then you would change your tune and you'd say instead of saying that's not a lot of money, right. you're like, wow, that's, that's like, quite a bit of money. You get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so who else has gotten paid, you know, in the past few seasons? It's been Roman Yossi. Got paid and got paid big time. Roman Yossi, Norris trophy winner. I Glenna, I'll be honest. Obviously being in this market and we see Roman Yossi all the time and how he deserved to win this award. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it given previous award instances, how we've seen some writers elect to go with the Eastern Conference candidate or the candidate that just simply racked up the most points, mm-hmm. which John Carlson obviously had that. But I really think the writers got it right this year. They really did get it right. I think they did too. And I think that finally some of them started to realize that you don't always have to play into this narrative of let's pick the guy that everybody knows we're going to pick, right? <laughs> and so I think that over the years you started to kind of see – more people write, you know, pick more names that are a little bit closer to where you're like, okay, that, that makes more sense. So I think that they finally 
took a really, really good hard look at Roman Yossi. And not just this year. I think everybody's been kind of watching him slowly, gradually improve. And at some point, it gets to a point where you can't ignore that. And so I think it finally got to the year where it's like, yeah, sometimes we try to play to this narrative, but like – Oh, you got Roman Yossi in Nashville, and you can't avoid that anymore. To the point where he garnered some heart votes as well. And it wasn't even close, folks. I mean, in terms of points, he had 1499, John Carlson 1267, and Victor Hedman 820. Meaning, Roman Yossi had 109 first-place votes, and John Carlson only had 56. That's that's a blowout. Yeah. Not close whatsoever. Victor Hedman only had four, and the only other player to get a first-place vote was Alex Petrangelo with one. This was Roman Yossi's award, and yeah. you could see with the way he carried this team and, and everything like that. And it's good to see this happen because Shea Weber, when Shea Weber should have won the award, mm-hmm. he didn't. Mm-hmm. This is a year when Roman Yossi should have won the award, and he did. And so in the, the NHL media availability, I asked Roman Yossi about Shea Weber and the influence because remember when Ryan Suter left, Roman Yossi was flung right up into working with Shea Weber, and everybody's going, you're putting a young kid on the top line with Shea Weber to face difficult, com- yep. difficult competition? And I was okay. thrilled. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we're all thrilled. And we saw the development there, too. So Roman Yossi played alongside Shea Weber, which obviously helped in his development. And then has recently been playing along Ryan Ellis, and they work off each other very, very well. So here's what Roman Yossi had to say about Shea Weber and Ryan Ellis. Oh, helped a lot. I mean, um, coming up as a young kid um, and seeing Shea Weber practice every day, seeing him play every day, and then I... I got to play play with him uh, as a pairing. Um, it was it was pretty cool, and there's nothing better for a young kid to to learn from a guy like him. And um, yeah, he's one of those guys. I mean, he definitely deserves to win the Norris, and um, he's just such a such a great person and uh, such a great player to learn from. So I was very lucky, and um, obviously playing with with Ellie the last couple of years. Um, he's um, he's just such a rock back there. He's so solid. Um, he lets me play my game. He's an he's an unbelievable player, and um, I should probably give half of this trophy to him. And um, yeah, I hope uh, he wins one of those. Um, he definitely deserves it. He's a he's an unbelievable player, and I'm I'm very glad I'm playing with him. Pretty humble guy, right there. Wanting to give half of it to Ellie. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that moved me when he said that because that's a true leader. It is. It really is. And like he said, Ryan Ellis lets him play his game. We remember looking back, Roman Yossi let Shea Weber play his game while he was building his game mm-hmm. up, and it's just – it was very powerful for him to say that because he recognizes that he's come this this far because he's been part of a fantastic, fantastic team and it's helped him along the way. And what we see these two individual awards in team sports I – mean, Hockey, obviously, is one of those big ones because there's so many guys fluidly moving on the ice and you don't have as much stoppage of play, necessarily, that they have to work as a cohesive unit. So they all take part in this. Like a Vezina Mm -hmm. is not just on the goalie. Exactly. The defense has to be helping out plenty for a goaltender to be even worth the Vezina or the goaltenders to be worth the Jennings. That's just typical that it has to be there. So for Roman Yossi to win a defensive award, yes, he has lots of individual effort, but it's his teammate and especially his defenseman pairing partner who play a big role in this. And Roman Yossi, in terms of what he led, was for the team Tom on Ice, obviously. He's going to be up there. And then zone injuries was important as well, which you see the transition of the NHL and the evolution of the NHL. And so the next question I asked Roman Yossi, this is with his Preds media availability, was about the evolution of not only his game, but the game of hockey in general with the defensemen and how we see 
Roman Yossi is a great puck-moving defenseman. We're seeing that more, and he brings up a couple names in there too because we're seeing it change away from those guys that just stay at home, but you have to be able to skate. And we all know Roman Yossi is an excellent skater. So here's Roman Yossi on the evolution of defensemen and his game in general. Well, I think the way the game is going, uh, I mean, you see with the young players that are coming up, defensemen like Hughes, Makar, um, they're, all, they're all great skaters, and they're all... Um, yeah, great offensive demand too. I mean, they um, they can skate, they can move the puck, and I think that that's kind of where the game is going. Not just on defense; it's uh, it's a lot about speed, a lot about skill. Uh, players are quick, and I I think for me personally, um, I feel like sometimes as a defenseman, it takes it takes a little longer to to find your game. Um, there's a lot of things. Uh, a lot of experience you have to go through uh, to to find uh, what really your game is, and um, I think for me personally, uh, starting out in Milwaukee, it was uh, a great learning curve, and then coming up here, there's a couple of years where you you you're always learning, and I'm, I mean I'm still learning, so um, I think just just keep working on your game, and um, um, yeah, uh, at some point you you gotta find what's uh, what what your game is, and then pr- try to perfect it. Big shout out to the Milwaukee Admirals too. Mm-hmm. which we all know. I mean, the road to Nashville goes to Milwaukee, but Romanos just even take the time to mention Milwaukee and how they helped in his development to help the transition from Europe mm-hmm. to North America was big for him to mention that. It was, because, and that obviously goes to show that that was an important part of a transition for him in his development. Um, and he was very open about that from the beginning when he first came over and he finally he joined the right. Preds and never left. And <laughs> he was he was very vocal about how important that was for him. And so... You love to hear that, and you also love to hear that he says he's still learning. You know? Oh, always. And and for him to recognize, too, the, the game transitioning and the game evolving like that, when you think about when he came in, what blue liners looked like, right? Mm-hmm. There were plenty of stay-at-home defensemen still active in the league, obviously aging more yeah. so, but he was he's part of that evolution of the changeover of puck-moving defensemen that will have zone entries that activate a lot more but can also back-check. Exactly. Granted, that isn't necessarily his strongest thing, but he's still a really good defenseman because of everything that he does around him on the ice to make his teammates better as well, whereas before it was more of the stay-at-home. He had very few that would activate up. I mean, yeah. Shea Weber activates a little bit, but his skating style is not the kind to get him d- deep exactly. into the offensive zone. <laughs> and you and if you watched, you know, four or five games a week, you weren't going to see all these defensemen just joining the rush and right. just flying down the ice. That wasn't happening. Right. But now you're starting to see that bits and pieces, and you're seeing some of them in flashes as they skate, and you're like, what? Wow. Right. I mean, it's it's impressive. And now so many of these young guys, like you said, mm-hmm. Kale McCarr being, being, being a big one right there in the division, whew, and Sam Girard. You know, Predators mm-hmm. draft pick that plays for Colorado now. As Same you grit your teeth McCarr. when you say it, I know. <laughs> I know, but puck-moving defensemen have great skating ability as well and mm-hmm. fast. Amiro Heiskanen, another mm-hmm. another big one right there. All these young kids that are going to be in the, the conversation about future Norris Trophy winners. Seth Jones being another one who has been in the league now for a little bit. I didn't realize how long he's been in the league to us on Facebook memories. and went, whoa, he's been in for a little bit now. He, he's a veteran. <laughs> how long has he been in the league? Seth Jones has been, I think it's seven years now i was about i was gonna say six but yeah six yeah. seven years I mean, wow time has flown yeah because he's 25 and he came right i in remember at 18, when so. he came in as a young little buck <laughs> fourth overall pick in 2013 yeah so. wow wow he's 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 getting up there already yeah. but obviously had to ask this question too because baby yossi's on the way which in his answer right now confirmed that his baby boy yossi mm-hmm. coming but is there going to be a certain type of name like james or norris in in this name 
<laughs> no, I gotta I gotta ask that before. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I don't think we're gonna name him that. So we're we're still trying to figure out a name, but uh, we'll see. it probably won't be James or or Norris. <laughs> well, you tried. I tried. I mean, it would have been pretty cool. even a middle name. Yeah, just I mean it's yeah Come on. for memories. Come on, right? yeah, for memory's sake. Or just nickname him Norris. Norris, even if it has nothing to do with his name. <laughs> or it could be No No. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no No Yossi. <laughs> oh my gosh, y'all! I wish you could have seen. He had the finger, the No No, the Takebe Mutombo. No No No. Um, uh, uh, uh. That is funny though. <laughs> well, folks, we have a fun show tonight. Up next, we're going to have Tony Ferrari from Dobber Prospects. Great in-depth dive into some prospects because obviously the Predators have plenty of draft picks coming up in the NHL draft coming up in just a few weeks in October. The NHL mm. draft coming up in October. And then Ashley Docking of Sportsnet will join us to talk about her sports journey as well. So stack show. Keep tuning in. NHL draft talk coming up next on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025, The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, Filthy G, producing us tonight. Man, mm. It's good to see you, man. It's really good to see you. You can, you can yeah, yeah. I want, I want to hear your beautiful Join voice. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Carter. <laughs> All right, let's talk NHL draft. Really excited to have this guy on. Tony Ferrari with Dauber Prospects. He is the head of North American Scouting there at Dauber Prospects. And the co-host of the Dauber Draftcast, so basically he's an expert when it comes to prospects in the draft. So, Tony, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. So we're, we're going to dive into so many different things, but just we'll start off this overall because basically every week we're trying to have somebody talk about the draft because it's a big year for the Predators to have that three picks in the top 42, which a lot of opportunity to restock the cupboard here. So let's just start off with people say this is a deep draft, and a lot of people might not know what deep draft means. So in your best explanation elevator speech, what does it mean when someone says, hey, this is a really deep draft? So when people say it's a deep draft, I think this year is a little misconstrued because I think what we have is a really solid top 10, a pretty good top 20, and then from about 40 to 60, you have a lot of guys that could end up being top 20 talents from this draft, but there's a red flag with all of them. Uh, there, there's a number of players that, whether it's skating or their, their defensive game is just poor completely in the defensive zone. It, it's kind of a draft where there's a lot of guys that you see the potential for them to be a really high-end talent, but we're not sure exactly how, how they're going to get there. That makes a really good sense. <laughs> that was perfect elevator pitch good as job, well. Good job. That was great. <laughs> so looking at this too, and, and this is one of those drafts I think people are talking, and obviously it's been a long time since we've seen a lot of these players play, that once you get past the first few top picks, that anything could happen. And so today the NHL hosted the top prospects on, on a Zoom call, uh, like so Cole Perfetti, um, Marco Rossi, Jake Sanderson, Jack Quinn. And Jack Quinn, like for instance, Elite prospects has him at 16, but he could go much higher than that as well. So what are you thinking in terms of this draft around 11? So go ahead and get into the Predators here of what type of player could be available to them at at 11 and looking at this because it it just varies so much in terms of where every single organization has them ranked of a guy that could fall to the Preds or do you think they're going to be right around that 11, what we're seeing, which is potentially like a Jake Sanderson on defense? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting spot that the Predators are in right now because, like I said, there's that pretty distinctive top 10. And, and the Predators are at 11, so they have the opportunity to grab the, whoever falls out, whether that's a Cole Perfetti or a Marco Rossi or even a Jake Sanderson or Anton Lundell. 
I think any of those guys, if they fall to 11, that's the pick you make. If, if someone jumps and grabs Askarov a little, a little bit inside the top 10, then maybe that's a guy that they, they grab, whether it's Cole Perfetti or, or one of those guys, like I said. But a few of the players that I think are, are right on that precipice of pushing into that top 10 are, are a guy like Seth Jarvis. He's a really speedy, high-octane offensive winger. Um, the biggest question with him is, is what is he exactly? Because in the first half of the season, he was just over a point a game. But in the second half of the season, he blew up. He was over two points a game. He was just dominating every game. Like It seemed like every other night there was a, a three, four, five-point night with this kid. So there's some middle ground in there that, that's his true potential. And I think the, the thing that really triggered his scoring was he started doing a lot more of that junior hockey, carrying the puck around the offensive zone because he knows he has the skill to do it. So I think his potential is really somewhere in there. But he's a guy that he can play center, but he's probably going to be a winger. But he's one of those players that you can put on the, the top line and he can drive play a little bit from his from the wing he doesn't necessarily need to be the center that drives the play so i think Seth Jarvis is a really interesting example there and you mentioned jack quinn as well i mean he, he scored 52 goals in the OHL this year that's something you can't laugh at that's, <laughs> right. that, that's real high-end production no but i, I think yeah. sorry go ahead no oh, no you go ahead sorry sir oh sorry i was gonna say he has a really good shot but i'm not sure it's great like a one scout told me this year, he scored 52 goals, but does he have a 52 goal shot? And and that was a question I kind of had all year with him as well. And in one of the things that he doesn't get credit for is a lot of the little things he does away from the puck. Whether it's he just chips chips the puck out of a board battle and and gets it to the free space and and gets it to one of his own players, or, or he's coming back in the defensive zone, he just disrupts the pass, and, and he may not get credit for it because someone else recovers the the loose puck, but he's the one that kind of broke up the play. So I think Jack Quinn's a unique player that doesn't get credit for the stuff he does do and maybe gets a little bit too much credit for what people kind of perceive him as as a, as a goal scorer. My mind the, feels the blown. Player that, <laughs> yeah, sorry. And, and the player that I think might fit the best, and, and this is a guy that I, I've said that probably fits with Nashville. I love the fit personally, but it might cause some controversy with Preds fans, is Yaroslav Askarov, the goalie. Mm. I, I know it, it seems like a, a reach. You don't grab a goalie in the top ten. And I'm an analytics guy. I'm a numbers guy. I, in in mo- most years, I'm saying don't draft a goal in the first round. Don't even draft a goal in the second round. But with how good this kid is, like I, I have some numbers here for you. So last year, he was a 920 in the VHL, which is essentially the second-tier league in Russia, uh, against men. He was outstanding all year last year. And, and he did play in the KHL for one game, and, and he ended up allowing two goals on, I think, 35 shots or something like that. So he had a good game. And then to open this year, he started in the KHL, the second-best league in the world. And he has a 974 save percentage through three games. He was named KHL Goalie of the Week. I, I mean, this kid's already playing against men. And the big thing with, with goalies is people go, oh, well, you don't want to invest that high because there's going to be a weight and you don't know. Well, with this kid, you know. He's going to be a good goalie. And as for the weight, I, I looked back at some of these uh, 11th overall picks from the last few years, and you have guys like uh, Oliver Wallstrom, Gabe Lardy, Logan Brown, Lawson Krause, and, and none of them have really made it. Like, and that's from 2018 to 2015. So those guys are guys that the, the weight's going to be there regardless. Once you get outside that top ten, you're waiting two years. Yaroslav Askarov is a goalie that could be in the NHL in two years. I have zero doubt about that in my mind. Ooh. And, Tony, we tend to see people talking about the shortcomings of some of these players that maybe fall a little further down where they still need to develop and not necessarily focusing on the potential and what they could possibly bring to a team in a few years. And you recently did a deep dive on Quentin Byfield, and you kind of touched on that a little bit in there. I know he won't still be available around the 11th, but are there some players on your mind that you see 
maybe other people are underestimating a little bit of some of the positives that they could bring or maybe some that scouts see the value in and maybe other scouts don't? Yeah, I think a player like Anton Lindell has a real risk of falling. He's the center from Finland. He's playing in the, the pro league there. He's been playing that for the past two years. And his biggest knock is that people don't see his offensive upside. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is a, a bit of a younger player playing against men. He's been playing against men for two years now, over two years. So his raw production stats weren't there. But when you compare them to other Finnish players that produce around the same age, they were just as good. He is older for the draft class, but he does play an extremely, extremely mature offensive game. Um, his upside is kind of like a Ryan O'Reilly or a Patrice Bergeron, that elite, elite defensive center that doesn't necessarily get the credit offensively, but he's going to be a cornerstone for your team. And I think Lundell, because he doesn't have that flashy offensive game, could fall to 11. In, in my opinion, he's a top six or seven prospect. I mean, that's impressive right there. And yeah, like we said, we always know that things can happen. Things can change all the time. But one of the things, too, we look at with the Predators, they have two seconds, two thirds. And it's obviously difficult to say what exact players could be available at those points. But with this draft being the way it is, what should expectations be for the types of players the Predators might be able to choose in those four picks? And the expectations being of when they potentially could be NHL ready. Is it like the... Th- two, three years, or looking at more of the four or five years, or bus. What are what can the expectations be realistically set as for those four picks? So with the second and third round picks this year, like I said, you have really good spots where these picks are, 37, 42, 70, and 73. You're in the upper half of each round, which is awesome, because you're kind of able to, like I said with the 11th pick, grab the guy that falls. Because inevitably every year there's a guy that falls because some other team wants to be the smartest guy in the room and and drafts this guy out of nowhere that never turns out. It happens every year. It's going to happen this year. So at 37 and 42, you have an opportunity to grab a guy that maybe should have been in the first round. Maybe a Jacob Perot falls, a really high-end, offensive-minded winger. His defensive game needs work, but he's got maybe a top-10 offensive skill set. So he's a guy that maybe could fall because there are a lot of people that are sour on him because of his defensive game. Or, or maybe there's some defensemen like William Wallander. He's this physical freak from Sweden. He's six foot four, I think, and 200, 200 pounds. And he's just a beautiful, beautiful skater for his size. Like he, he's got like almost a Quinton Byfield level skating at that size. So if he can kind of rein things in and get a little bit more under control, to, like uh, with the puck, he's going to be a really good defenseman. So in those ranges, you're going to get a lot of guys that have a lot of high end skill or a lot of like projectability in one area, but you need to work on those other areas. So I think you're going to get a player with red flags and you're going to get a guy that maybe, whether it's a skating or a shot or a defensive play, it's probably going to be two or three years out. And once you get outside really the top 10, 15 picks, that's what it is for most of these guys. And once you get outside of maybe the top 75, 100, you're looking at four years, if not more for a lot of these guys. And that makes total sense. It's it's a crapshoot, and it's a gamble. <laughs> That's the fun about the draft. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, before we have to let you go, another elevator pitch moment here because we got to get to break. But it's always interesting to hear what scouts do and what you're looking for. So if someone who has never even talked to someone that scouts hockey players asked, what do you do as a hockey scout? What do you do as a hockey scout? So one of the things I do is I, I'm always in ranks as much as I can when, when they're open. I mean, right now we're all kind of shut down, but – the other thing I like to do is I like to kind of confirm things with, with analytics and video. So I'm a big proponent of, of looking at a video. Even if you've watched that game sometimes, you need to go over the video to see what, what is it that I missed or, or 
or there's moments when I'm at a game where I'll mark something down, like, oh, there's this, there's this play I'd like to get a second view on. And you just can't do that when you're there live. So kind of using all the, the va- va- venues available to me is, is what I like to do. But as for what I'm looking for, I like to go on a pretty simple formula of, like, uh, mind, mobility, play driving, and, and just overall game impact. It, it's fairly simple. It's oversimplified there. But I, I, I break it down into more than that. But with, with mobility, you look at a guy and you go, okay, his skating is good, but where? what else is he going to do? Like, how does he get around the ice? How smart is he around the ice? And that's where the mind comes in. And you've got to understand what a player's trying to accomplish on ice because there's a lot of situations like John Luke Foody in Windsor. He played with uh, national pro- uh, prospect Igor Afanasyev. And when he was away from Afanasyev, it looked like he was lost because he's a guy that really needs someone to be there to finish. And, and really, out of Afanasyev, he was the only one that was able to keep up with Foody. So a player like that, you can rate really high, but you have red flags because he needs to play with someone else. And, and it's just that kind of getting a full picture of the player is what you really want to do. No, that makes perfect sense. Well, Tony, we'd really appreciate you taking the time and especially giving us that in-depth dive, too, in a lot of these guys because we're very excited here to be covering the draft virtually the best that we can. So we appreciate your time, man. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, guys. All right, folks, Tony Ferrari, he is the head of North American Scouting at Dauber Prospects. You can follow him on Twitter at VTonyFerrari. Lots of great information about prospects, so highly recommend you give those guys a follow, all the different people at Dauber Prospects, because they do lots of in-depth stuff and lots of in-depth work there. Okay, up next, we're going to talk with Ashley Dockin of Sportsnet. It's about her sports journey and women in sports, and just get her story up next. One, two, three. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Phil behind the glass taking care of us. Glenn rocking her women in sports sweatshirt. I am. It's so comfy. You, you can find more of that on her Twitter. Yes, go to yeah. my Twitter, at Rebecca Glenn. There it's you go. pinned. <laughs> it better be pinned. It's an awesome it's shirt. Pinned. And it's, you said it's comfortable as well. So soft inside. So yes. soft. Okay, up next, really excited to have our next guest on. She has been seen on Yahoo Sports Canada, CBC, Sportsnet, everywhere. Ashley Docking, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And I I guess we'll just start off with this has been such a weird landscape in sports since March that we've all had to get used to doing Zoom interviews and all these different types of things in sports. What has the sports landscape been like for you in trying to cover teams and talk about teams and doing your job in the land of Zoom? So... It's kind of interesting. I think that all of the things that you said are correct. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. And you certainly miss the energy of going to a game, being at an arena, you know, doing the post-game interviews, having a side with players, coaches, and just fellow media members. So you miss that aspect for sure. But one of the things that I think kind of is an opportunity stemming from all of this is that everything's done remote now. So now there's no excuse for people to be like, oh, you know, I can't have you work here because of visa issues or vice versa. There's no traveling. There's none of that. It's like, do you have Wi-Fi? Then you can collaborate with us. And I think that that's a pretty cool thing also. And Ashley, I want to go back in time a little bit. You were a dual sport athlete. You played both basketball and soccer. While you were in the game, is sportscasting, is that something that you knew you wanted to work on on the other side of the sport? Or was that just something that kind of naturally occurred once you were out of school? What was that transition like for you? 
Yeah, girl, that was not something that was on my radar at <laughs> all whatsoever. I was just wrapped up in playing. I was getting through school. I majored in marketing. I took fashion business also. So I was all over the map. Um, I had just a regular everyday desk job. You know, I worked in banking. I worked uh, in telecommunications also. But I was just turning into this miserable person who anytime someone asks, you know, hey, Ash, how was your day? Your first thing is to kind of gripe about work. And listen, you guys know this too. No job is perfect, obviously. Mm -hmm. There's going to be problems. There's going to be days where you just don't really want to go in because at the end of the day, it's a job. But I was like, I need to find something that more often than not, I'm excited for. And so that's kind of how I found my way into sports broadcasting, went back to school to kind of specialize in it, and then just, you know, went from there. And looking at just as your, at your resume, Edmonton Oilers, Bleacher my Report. Substantial, my yeah. substantial resume. <laughs> your substantial <laughs> resume. NBA TV, Sportsnet, Radio, NBA Summer League, all these different types of things, but also focusing yeah. on giving back and giving advice and everything too. And we at Penalty Box Radio, we work with a lot of young people in high school and college and trying to get them experience and always love to pass along information because we have so many people out there, and especially this day and age, it's such a competitive industry that we see as well. Mm-hmm. So. What's, what's some advice that you could give uh, to some of these young folks out there on how to make a difference, how to make themselves stand out, and just in terms of getting into this industry? Oh, man. Okay. So <laughs> that's – well, there's so, there's so many things, right? I think first and foremost, one of the things that is really a misconception about this industry that for whatever reason we have peddled for just generations and generations is that you have to suffer – to be successful, and that suffering is part of the process. You need to work smarter. You don't necessarily need to work longer. You have to be aware of people that might be trying to take advantage of you through internships. Listen, I did my fair share of work for free for the experience. I volunteered at a local station. I was directing, producing, doing camera, kind of getting a lay of the land. You know, I did sideline games for free at at local stations. Um, But there comes a point in time where you have to kind of think of your path and be like, okay, is this organization somewhere that's going to... Um, help me develop? Are they going to care about me personally? Are they going to be invested in me? Um, And can I have the conversation about maybe part-time work or maybe getting a little bit of a stipend and just kind of looking out for yourself at a certain point, you know? You can't really go into things guns blazing and be like, I want this salary when you have no experience. It's not how it works. But I don't know if you guys agree. I just think that the narrative of like, had this long-standing suffering and, like, you should be lucky to be here narrative um, right. is a bit kind of played out for me. Oh, it absolutely is. Value. It's showing value that you value the work that people are putting into it. And that's one of those things, yeah. I mean, we live by and showing that they're valued as a person because they're, they're, it's, it's supposed to be a win-win. That is, is what it should be. It shouldn't be one person wins, the other person gets experience, and then you shove them off into, into the sunset. Yeah. It's more of a, you're providing a job, you're getting experience, we're getting something, but we're going to give you something back in return. It should always be like that, just being people, <laughs> human yeah, beings. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's important to not undervalue yourself too, right? There's always going to be people that, are come, that come calling and they're like, okay, well, what's your price? And they're saying that to five different people. You cannot tell them what you think that they want to hear. You have to already have predetermined what your rates are going to be. If we're talking freelance, if we're talking full-time, like what's your ceiling, what's your floor. And then from there you can make concessions. If you feel like it's a good opportunity, that's going to be positive in the long run, obviously. But if you 
start somewhere where you're like, I'm so excited for this opportunity. I'll do it for $50. Well, if they like your work, you've set the tone that you're worth $50 and it's going to be really hard for you to negotiate a rate um, that's a significant increase. And listen, if you want to make money, broadcasting is probably the wrong field for you. <laughs> I don't think that anyone comes into this industry thinking that I'm going to be a millionaire in 10 years. But there's a difference between being rich and just being paid what you're worth. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely about knowing your worth and vocalizing that. And I kind of want to, this kind of plays into this. I want to touch on humanity and sports and the convergence of these two. I know this is something that, that you specialize in. Um, sport definitely does have the power to celebrate our commonalities, our common humanity. And if in the right environment, it can really, really aid in positive self-development, especially for younger athletes. So if you're in a conversation, let's say that you're, you know, at a seminar with student athletes and you're approaching the conversation um, of humanity and sports and you're speaking with younger athletes who are aiming to go pro but are still in those prime stages of development education, what does that conversation look like for you? I mean, I think that wanting to go pro um, is something that you should aspire to if that's something that you're passionate about. Um, But I think that we would be naive to assume that going pro for everybody is not necessarily not about money, if that makes sense. There are reasons that people do things and it varies all the time. One thing that I don't love to do when I'm talking to or about athletes is to assume that everyone feels the same way just because one thing has been my experience. Um, So I think that when you you give advice, you have to be really cognizant of that um, because everyone has different reasons for wanting to achieve different things. Um, But I'd say that you need to have this balance. We kind of went down this rabbit hole of sports specialization, and you guys know this as well, that every player that wanted to go pro in hockey or football or basketball or baseball was doing it all year round Mm -hmm. when really like when I played sports, there were summer sports and there were winter sports and you kind of mixed it all in. And I think that there's a lot of people who have either given their testimonials that are in professional sporting positions right now who have said, listen, it is important to diversify, to be versatile, to meet different kinds of people and also just give yourself a little bit of a break sometimes because I think it kind of can tie back to the pressure of just being all in all the time in sports broadcasting. You know, you can really wear yourself out. And I think the same thing applies to athletes that are trying to go pro. Just cut yourself a break a little bit um, because, you know, the cream of the crop will always rise to the top. Um, and if, if you're good, people will notice. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's been a big debate for so many with coaches and changing that, that, that paradigm shift for coaches to understand that their players need to play other sports because it will make them better. And getting through that brick yeah. wall of a mindset of, oh, wait, a, a hockey player playing lacrosse will help make them better. Yeah, 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 it really I mean, will. Take, take Roman Yossi, yeah. for example. Roman Yossi in Nashville, you know, he talked about he, he played other sports when he was younger. Yeah. He played soccer, I believe. He, he plays tennis, yeah. and he just won the Norris Trophy in the NHL. So, yeah, <laughs> so we, yeah, yeah we no, get it's it. true. And I think that one of the things that coaches have a responsibility to do, mentors have a responsibility to do, um, is to make sure that you're developing you know, not just good athletes, and it sounds super cliche, but like good and interesting people. And this goes for broadcasters too. I know you said that you have a lot of younger high school, college students that, you know, listen to your show. Um, If you're not an interesting person, 
you are not going to be an interesting broadcaster because the way that things are going is that we're not just talking X's and O's anymore. We're not just like, hey, how'd that game go last night? You're like, oh, you see the third shift in the second period? That was crazy. (laughs) Conversations have expanded so far beyond that. So if you're not someone that has experience, perspective, wins and losses to bring to the conversation, um, you're not going to be as engaging to audiences as someone who, as someone who does. I think that's perfect advice. Great. Now very, I'm, very I'm just really, really insecure right now of him if, if I'm interesting. <laughs> I've been with yeah, you. so what I'm saying is to you college students, just yeah. maybe not now because of COVID, but like you right. need to go out, have drinks, go to comedy shows, you yeah. know, like, get have into a, some debauchery. <laughs> have an interesting life, okay? Yeah. Don't be boring. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And, about, and learn about other things. Learn about fashion, if that's what you're into, pop culture, history, whatever the case may be, technology, music, like all of these things aid in your sports broadcasting experience and allow you to connect with different kinds of people that you'll meet along the way. Absolutely. That is fantastic advice. And I'm glad we walked into that subject area right there. That's pretty cool. Well, Ashley, we (laughs) we really appreciate your time. And it's great advice out there for anyone wanting to get into it. And it's just good advice for anyone in general, not even just broadcasting, but to expand what you're experiencing Mm -hmm. and is very important. A thousand percent. So we appreciate your time so very much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Justin Glenn, congrats on your um, sweater business. I checked it out. Your Amazon page is very, very nice. Thank you. It's um, very again, new. I love a diversification <laughs> moment. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. Well, Ashley, thanks so much. And hey, we'll hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, definitely. Take care, guys. Ashley Docking, you've see, she's been seeing Yahoo Sports Canada, Sportsnet, CBC, everywhere. And as you can tell, very inspirational and very great so. advice that she yeah. gives as well to just broadcasters in general and just to be overall good human beings yeah just people in general. you could take that into any yeah. job that you go into any line oh, yeah. of work and find more information on her at it's just, this is easy ashleydocking.com has the perfect website set up about where you can see where she's been what she does and how she does speaking events too so it's just great there too so i hope any of our pbr interns are listening mm-hmm. take some of the advice be interesting I, I know there's a few out there that are, take that very much to heart about being interesting <laughs> we've got some very, very interesting we do, which means they're going to be successful. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Up next, we have plenty of questions to answer for you here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Phil behind the glass. But I'm fired up from that last segment, Glenn. I know. I mean, I really, we definitely want to have her back on oh, yeah. at some point. Just, I, I'm fired up. I'm ready to yeah. put more work in. <laughs> I'm ready to and work. Every, yeah. <laughs> Let's get to work, Let's get son. to work. Okay, up to our questions now. This one comes from Gumpy. What music, movie, or food do you enjoy to kick off the fall season, Glenn? Um, do not laugh at me. Are you about to go basic? Do not laugh at me. No, I don't even do hocus pocus. I skip <laughs> over. And the second that I either see a leaf on the ground or I feel a cool breeze, I watch Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2? Yep. Always Home Alone 2. I'm not going to laugh. I'm just more perplexed. Home Alone 2. <laughs> Anytime I feel a cool breeze in the air, and I did it last week. I've already watched it. It's because... That's how I kick off all. It's because of the two turtle doves. And then... <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then I drink, um, I make homemade hot apple cider. My babysitter used to make it for me when I was a kid. Oh. She gave me a recipe, and I make it every year. But as a, I mean, in Mississippi, didn't hot apple cider like just burn you because it was never cold? It was, it was literally, yeah, it was like tang, <laughs> sugar, <laughs> tea, and that's it, and lemonade. Oh boy, that's it. Well, well <laughs> it's for me, so good. I'll make you some. I've been loving overall. I know it's been a little dreary today, but I've been loving the weather here in Nashville because I've had my windows open at the house for seven straight days. Mm-hmm. I've not turned on the air conditioning once. It got up to 75, but it's turned on fans. I'm like, I'm not doing it. It's not worth it. It's going to be 75 for an hour. It is not worth the bill yep. to have this happen. So windows have been open. The cat's been loving it. Oh, yeah. Atticus she has so many, so many opportunities to go sm- smell the fresh oh, air. the best. Yeah. So, but for me, chilly. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. it's chilly season. Yeah. Oh, man. Cannot, cannot wait for that. Uh, music. <laughs> September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it kicks in with that. Uh, and then movie. Uh, I usually tend to watch Remember the Titans. Really? In the fall. Okay. I mean, football movie. Yeah. Just kind of. definitely more fall than my choice. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously Hocus Pocus is going to come into play. Yeah. I mean, just because I have the Hocus Pocus Funko Pops. They're not dolls. I hope that you and Gover realize that me saying dolls is never an insult. No, I but know. When I was growing up, if it wasn't breathing or it wasn't my cat. It was a doll. It was a doll. Okay, no. I, I'm just saying because some of them were bobbleheads and some were not. But they're not action figures either because you don't play with them. So are those bob- are the Hocus Pocus bobbleheads? Yes. Okay. Believe, I believe so. Okay. I believe so. But either way, they're part of the Halloween decorations. Okay. Peyton is asking, what's one prediction you made this season you got way wrong? Do you remember um, any of your predictions? Yeah, I thought that the Predators were going to go a little bit further in the playoffs than they did. Definitely one of mine. Uh, that was definitely, that definitely was the one, one of mine. I was most wrong on. Yeah, definitely most wrong on that. I did definitely did not have the Dallas Stars going to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Did not I, have I did that. Did not have that either. So, I don't think a lot of people had that on their bingo no. cards. <laughs> Plenty of people probably had Tampa Bay. Yeah. Just because yeah. the talent has not left there. They're yeah. still very, very good. So, rough one there. Okay. This one is from Mark. I'm sure this is an age-old question, but here it goes anyway. What has prevented Nashville from acquiring a superstar forward? The question is not time frame specific, although pre-salary cap era is self-evident. And by superstar, I'm referring to McDavid, Crosby, and the like. Well, the heads haven't sucked enough. That's that's very true. That's literally to be the able reason. To obtain one of those, <laughs> you have to be god awful. Yeah. For a little while, you have to be awful. And most of the time, you're not going to be able to trade for one because mm-hmm. the team that drafts them is going to want to keep that player, or you don't have the assets to give up to acquire that player either. Yeah. It costs, yeah. It costs a lot to get somebody like that. It costs yeah. a lot from your team. Yeah. Five, five years or so of just absolute, ugh. Ugh. That <laughs> is might, a great way to put it. You might get a good one or ugh. two. Yeah. Ugh. Because think of how bad Edmonton had been. Mm-hmm. Think of how bad Pittsburgh was for two years. I mean... Crosby and Malkin. Yeah. Think of how bad Chicago was yeah. for a long period of time to be able to get Kane and Taves. Predators haven't been, the only time they've been that bad, they got Seth Jones. Yeah. When they were supposed to potentially get Barkoff. Mm-hmm. That was the McKinnon year and everything like that. And well, Seth Jones was the next best player, and it turned into Ryan Johansson, but it still hasn't been that superstar forward that were it's game changer. Mm-hmm. That you have to be awful. You just have to be awful to do that. And when Detroit is awful, they still didn't luck out with the, with the draft lottery. Sometimes I forget they're still a team. It's that oh, bad. Oh, <laughs> man, Glenn. I don't really forget, but yeah. it's bad. <laughs> this one comes from CJ. Sounds like a youth movement is starting with Trenton signing. Uh, where do you see him at the beginning of the year? 
uh, Nashville, who's on his line? Who will he help out because he's on that line? And do we see major movement on the bottom six? I think I'd, I'd love to see Trennan on the third line. Reason being because the third line is still expected to score. I think he can open up some space for guys given his physical play. And I, I don't necessarily want to see him on the fourth or energy or checking line because I think it will it'll get rid of some of his scoring upside because he does have an offensive upside compared to some other physical guys on this team. So I'd like to see him on the third line. And who would be on the line? I have no idea. We need to get through the draft and free agency first because I still think there's going to be moves made with some veterans that you're not going to see the third line look anywhere near what it looked like uh, this past season. But, for instance, having him out there with a Rocco Grimaldi would open up more space for Grimaldi to potentially score more too. So that's that's what I want to see is him opening up space by being a physical guy, um, playing in some of those dirty areas, pardon the cliche term, but but doing that as well. But it's true. But yeah. it's true. Mm-hmm. But it's true. Uh, this one comes from Dave. A lot of great goalies are on the market this offseason, and Saros Rainey only have a year left in their deals. Should David Poyle make a change to the goaltending tandem now instead of waiting until next year? Well, as we had with Tony Ferrari, maybe they draft Askarov. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I think he'll go a little bit higher, but there's that potential there too. And it's a really difficult question because people are still questioning if Saros is the guy going forward for the long haul. He's a good goaltender, but is he that guy going forward? When he has time to play, he settles in, looks better, but is he going to be the long-term goalie for this franchise? And the question is, I don't know. And some of the goalies out there, I don't know if you want to take that risk because what does it say to the development of these guys Mm -hmm. to push? I think that question comes up more next offseason or even the middle of the season to do because you're obviously you don't want to you don't want to put Pecorino out to pasture like that. Exactly. And you Cesaros, you still want to can hopefully let him continue to develop and have more more games. Yeah. So my yeah, my simple answer for that. Should David Poyle make a change to the tandem right now? No, I I don't think so. And I it it would take a lot. Yeah, it would to to have to make that change if you're able to draft a goalie. That yeah. you think has that potential, then at least you know, okay, two years, that's kind of perfect down the timing. Road, yeah. Got, yeah. And Connor exactly. Ingram would be able to compete then as well. So it gives that that changing of the guard a little more time and ability to be able to have that mm-hmm. uh, as well. Okay, Johnny's asking, what NHL award would make the best baby name? Oh, that's good. <laughs> and that kind of ties into our first segment. When It really, really does. So not James or Norris. No. So I'm I mean,. Sh- I mean, Jack Adams is such an obvious name, but I think that Con Smythe is adorable. Con Smythe. Smythe. Not necessarily the con part, but Smythe is cute. What about Rocket Richard? Oh, that's for a baby? <laughs> for a Can baby. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Because then you grow up and that's your name. Yeah. Like, what an awesome, awesome name. Yeah, Rocket. I like Rocket. Yeah, I, I, w- I would go with Rocket. No, or King Clancy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with Con Smythe. I think that's adorable. <laughs> King Clancy, though, is... And that's it's good. funny. That's funny. You're probably an idiot. Especially when there's like a two-year-old running around and it's like, King, King Clancy, get King. over here. <laughs> you get Don't your butt get right over house. here. <laughs> <laughs> you put that, put that hockey stick away. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question, Johnny. I like it. I, I do like that. I do like that. Well, folks, really appreciate you tuning in. Big thanks to our guests, Tony Ferrari and Ashley Docking. So for producer Phil behind the glass, for Glenn Blockle, this is Justin Bradford. Thanks for listening to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.